My name is Judah McNeil, and I'm sitting here with Ford Suze, and we're going to talk about Ender's Game. For me, one of the most influential, uh, influential, one of uh, my favorite sci-fi uh, series, books, Ender's Game itself, the best book I've ever read as far as sci-fi goes. Yeah, I don't have anything bad to say about it. I think it has some interesting ideas, uh, and like the best science fiction, it it paints this picture of the future that it turns out to be prophetic. I mean, there's certain things in there um, that were just, like, he was seeing it happen before it was really happening. You know, maybe he was observing some things that were going on and and with computers. But uh, I mean, the you know the stuff about the basically blogs that mm-hmm. um, the uh, brother sister have that that changed the world. You know, that bloggers would have that big of a, big of an impact. I mean, that's that's pretty uh, prophetic. It's interesting. In the later books, he talks a lot about the internet, um, mm. and he was writing that. Uh, so he originally wrote this story back in the seventies. Okay, so he was that old? Yeah. Well, he wrote the story. It was like as a short story back in the seventies, and then it got published as a book. He expanded it because he won some kind of prize for this. He he published it in in like a magazine or something, and he got he got noticed because of it and then he expanded into book in the early 80s i think okay um but just a really interesting guy uh, apparently he was a uh, card was his brother was in the military back then and uh he was reading um you know pretty heavy some of these older sci-fi books um Isaac Isimov or whatever his name is thinking about what would it be like to train in space? And, and, and then he, he couldn't, he couldn't really think of how to make it interesting until he thought of, well, what if it was children, you know, like how better to, uh, cause he was thinking, uh, cause he, he was one of the first to ever explore the idea of, um, maneuver, uh, what is it? I think his, uh, uh, maneuver strategy. Okay. So there's, there's, I think there's a, war, there's a book called the art of the art of maneuver, uh, maneuver warfare theory and airland battle by Robert R. Leonhard. I mean, it, it was groundbreaking stuff when he first started and, and still is, but just reading it and thinking about all this um, strategy Right. And the mechanics of the, like the anti-grav and how things to think outside of the box and come up with new strategies. Yeah. Um, yeah. It reminds me like one of my other, my, one of my favorite fantasy writers, Brandon Sanderson. And in his books, you know, usually the superpowers that some character has are tied to some skill that they have to learn. Mm. So it's not just, you know, they don't just fly. They, they basically manipulate their relationship to gravity and it takes conscious, conscious effort. And like when they first do it, they don't even realize it. Think of it as flying, you know? And so it, 
it's uh it creates you know it would be very cinematic to actually show this kind of stuff yeah. um but you know it creates a tension there that just is often lost from you know our post superpower saturated you know things and so yeah like you said you know when they when he presents these arenas um you know where ender is kind of breaking the mold and, and thinking outside of the box and thinking laterally instead of vertically or vertically instead of laterally um it, you know it, it adds this this other element you know it's not just like oh he's good because he always had it in him it's good he's good because he has superior strategy you know it's yeah. and you get to see that mechanically work out really well in the story um as opposed to just you know i think sometimes it's it's almost just like a cheat like the good guy wins because he's the good guy you know? mm-hmm. but, but yeah this is real methodical I mean, you could say procedural in the way that it develops his battle strategy and the way that that you know he makes his decisions as a as a fighter or as a planner mm-hmm. yeah and and for anybody who hasn't read the book it's it's about a young boy who is actually allowed it's it's in a sort of dystopian future in which only um people are only allowed to have up to two kids and he is allowed to be born as a third. They call him thirds. Um, and when he's six years old, he's allowed to be born because they're looking for a, uh, they're looking for a child to become the general of the army against the buggers. The buggers are, and I think they call them the formics in the movie. They are these bug like <laughs> aliens who have attacked the world and they, instead of having like a world war one and world war two in the future they have the bugger war one and the bugger war two in which the buggers try to invade uh, in the first war and then um they were destroyed or their in a second invasion was destroyed in the second war and uh so now they are trying to uh take it to the buggers and um so he is, so we watch him go through military school with other children. His brother is a sort of a sadistic, um, he was he was originally looked at to be the general, but he's too sadistic. And his sister, his older sister, who he loves very much, Valentine, is, um, is very loving, but she's too, uh, she's too empathetic. And he is a mixture of both. And of course, Ender's not sadistic. I, I think one of the uh, one of the most beautiful themes of the book is looking at innocence versus power. How do you remain innocent when you and and yet still use power, still influence? Right. And and I think maneuver is the word that comes to my mind instead of like, I often use the word manipulate, right? Like, right. but that has such a bad connotations. I think the, the word maneuver uh, explains better how to use power right. without, without being a tyrant, without being a sadistic person. Yeah. Cause Ender's brother is definitely a manipulator. And Ender, you're right. He's he's a maneuverer. You know, he's he's finding ways to work around situations. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe you know he'd be. I feel like he'd be one of those people in war who tries to kill the least amount of people. You know, yeah. To to try to to end the battle with the least amount of casualties on either side, not just on his side. You know, he's actually trying to think of it methodically. How can we, you know, solve this problem 
with the least amount of casualty. Right. He's a young boy. He's six years old, thrown into the situation where um, the powers that be, a bunch of old men, basically, are right. uh, in the movie, they use uh, a woman, but um, they're, they're trying to push him as far as they can because they believe in him and he's their last hope. And so he's put into these situations that all he's trying to do, what he comes back to is I'm just trying to survive. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting to me to, to this idea of, okay, uh, well, not just survive, but um, he, he said, it, he said he beat this one boy who tried to attack him uh, vicious, not viciously, but thoroughly. He was, they, they say like he's, they, when they talk about Ender, they say he's not, he's not vicious. He's thorough. He beat him extra violently so that he would not have to, he said, so that he wouldn't have to be in any more fights so that people would be, you know, he was, he didn't want to get in these fights. And so he just, he, he took the uh, opportunity to, to shut him down by, by um, being, Violent and this idea of violence, the whole book is very violent, right? But Definitely. it deals with violence in a way. Uh, going back to the idea of being put in position where you have to survive. So, Orson Scott Card, as a Mormon, dealing with um, the idea of violence, um, you know, in light of a peaceful religion. Because or uh, because uh, Ender is he's a peaceful guy he really is right and we see that late in the later books um, and at, at at the end of the book but what uh, what was your takeaway as far as violence and and how we partake in violence as peaceful you know people yeah I think you know Ender is kind of the model that because his he doesn't have the whole story and so he's doing the best he can with the information that's been given to him and and i think that that's kind of the role of a soldier again like whatever war you go into um you don't actually know if you're on the right side or not mm -hmm. uh, you think you are you assume you are but so the best strategy you can do really is to try to mitigate damage you know try to do as little harm as possible uh but you know the job of war is to kill so you know it it an idealist does not really stop wars. You know, the war marches on whether there's, you know, a picketer on the side or not. You know, if yeah. Ender had turned into a pacifist, that wouldn't have stopped the war. Um, so. Interesting. That That's a huge statement. Um, of course, the question is, well, I mean, uh, given the ending, though, that that is kind of an interesting thought to kind of uh, take take further um it, it might actually you know what would have happened that's a that's an interesting thought experiment what would have happened if ender had been a pacifist um you know i think in in the end they probably would have just resorted to calling on his brother <laughs> like you know because they would have to be so ruthless um so i um you know hawthorne uh, i'm sorry not hawthorne um What's a Hemingway? Hemingway wrote this book about war, and he said basically, you know, it would be in a perfect world there would be no war. But when it comes to war, he wrote this book, just basic collection of 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 stories, of retellings of of you know journalistic or history about war through the ages. 
and in, in his prologue he just he was talking about how you know even back then there's this this kind of naive belief that we can be without war um and you know you want that to be the case but it's the job of the soldier to try to finish it as quickly as possible you know mm. losing as little life as possible and mm -hmm. it's a terrible business but it it is a business you know um so i think uh you know the way he handles himself a lot of in a lot of the training exercises is a, is a good example of that just that maneuvering um i think uh the and then not only that but when he comes to fuller understanding of what's actually going on his response to that rather than doubling down and saying you know trying to reinterpret the universe to align with what he did he takes responsibility for what he did uh realizes that it wasn't the right call um that the powers that be were mistaken themselves they mm -hmm. misunderstood what was going on um which you know it's it's pretty it's pretty typical for uh, existing systems you know when cultural lag is in effect when there's a society that's under attack they, they get defensive and rationality tends to go out the window so um you know the ability to empathize to cross-culturally communicate uh those things are not real prized um possessions you know they're not really high on the list when survival is it, it seems to be on the line uh, but i yeah. think we we do jump to the survival being on the line thing probably too quickly in a lot of cases that was um that was a great conversation between him and uh the general that's put over him uh i think uh, what was his name frag or something like that general um anyways um <clears throat> where he's asking about the the bugger war and he asked him why do you think we're in this war and he says basically and or interprets it to say so we're we're at war because we can't communicate and he says basically yes and i thought that was that was very interesting um the idea because the the buggers are completely psychic they can't right. talk through machine or mouth right. and and so the whole war was over this inability to communicate mm. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating commentary. And, you know, I I feel like, you know, that that the more that I engage with India, for instance, or Indians in particular um, from India, the the more I just realize how difficult it is just for human beings who have very different uh, histories, very different arrays of cultures, not just culture or cultures, but arrays of cultures that kind of inner communicate within their own ecosystem we get these two ecosystems together they're they're very they have a very hard time we have a very hard time communicating um and so war whether it be ideological or literal you know phys physical um seems to be the first recourse for human nature it's just that fear you know fear drives you to that next level because you just don't know what's in the other person's mind you know yeah. um and so i just i feel like so many uh so much competition in the world stems from that. Definitely. That's a great way of putting it. Competition. Yeah. And, um, and it, so it, it, it was hard for me to really, uh, to really come down on the side, e even at the end of the book, because of the lack of communication, when you add, when, uh, when two 
entities can't communicate and you add into the mix technology and weaponry, it's like you have to have war. You know, you, either you have war or you have genocide. Because, uh, because when you see these huge weapons coming towards you, even if they're, they mean peace, you can't know. He says, he said, we couldn't know for sure if they did. And in the end, it was us or them. And uh, I thought that was interesting. Although today, what, so what does that mean for like cultures in which we can communicate? It's not like that in which the, you know, where it's psychic versus, you know, verbal. Um, how do we, what do we do? Cause, cause war comes from, like you said, fear, but, but real fear, right? Like uh, I need this to survive. You want this, you know, and you, if you can't communicate, you can't barter. How do we communicate in in, in this limited cross culture environment yeah. that, that well, we it, find ourselves globally? It does get commu- uh, It does get convoluted by the fact that you know there are people who want power, and mm-hmm. so one of the easiest tools to get power is to play off people's fear. Mm-hmm. So xenophobia is a is a very healthy motivator for servile people. You know, so if you can, if and and this is this happens all over the world. There are people that think you know it's you know, Donald Trump or Adolf Hitler invented, you know, pitting people against each other. Uh, that's just, it happens everywhere in every society that's ever been. Uh, in India, like there's, they call it communalism, you know, when one politician um, starts playing off the sentiments of another. Right now, there's uh, a rather militant arm of of one political side, which is normally a peaceful side, Um calling for the beheading of an actress because he doesn't like the portrayal of this one character that may not even be literally historical. And to even say that right now, it's like, it's like, it's, it's almost if I drew a cartoon of Mohammed, like it's that big of a deal. Like, Mm. like, and this, this historical character is like, no, no one had even heard of, you know, five years ago. So it's just, um, and there are some who debated if she was even historical. It's just like why someone's actually, you know, whether or not rhetorically calling for the, the beheading of the woman that played this one, like really? Um, but power is just very easy to, uh, uh, is a very easy motivator to get people to be pitted against each other. And, you know, we see that in, in the West, uh, you know, the, like the KKK, you know, the, the white supremacist movements, um, anti-Jewish movements, anti-black, anti-immigrant, you mm-hmm. know, there's this, uh, and that, and that doesn't just have one flavor. I mean, we're seeing it right now in terms of, you know, anti Islamic immigration, but I mean that was happening in New York with different ethnicities. You know, the Jews, the Irish, the Italians against each other. Um, so I, I feel like, uh, I mean, you can think about Northern Ireland. You know, you can think about Catholics and Protestants. Like, mm-hmm. there's this this tendency a lot of times. One of the examples from India that I think of is Al Jinnah. He was uh, uh, when the the partition of of India and Pakistan. And Al Jinnah was the one who represented the Islamic side and wanted to have this sovereign Islamic state, and uh, that's where Pakistan came from. And so there's that's a very convoluted thing. So I may kind of gloss over this in a very you know short little thing here. But the idea being that when I've read about that guy, I've not been impressed at all hmm. because he did not seem like a teetotaling, card carrying Muslim. He was a Muslim by by identity, but he wasn't a Muslim by practice. Mm. And so when I see people do that, when I see Christians who are, you know, 
just, I mean, that, that happens in the Christian right all the time, you know, the Christian right and the guys divorced three women, mm. you know, like, oh yeah, you really represent Christians, don't you, dude? You know, that, that kind of thing is despicable to me. It's the heights of his hypocrisy that you're going to use a religious voting block, you know, just for the block, you know, just for the political power. So war is an easy way to amass power. You know, mm. so some people have a career ambition and they see this, you know, oh, it's, it's just almost like a, a turnkey operation. You've got this whole, you've got this whole block that's going to support you. If you can convince them that the, these rivals or this, these aliens or these other cultures are bad. Mm. So I think, you know, the more that we think as blocks of people, the more that we think as races, ethnicities, linguistic blocks, or, uh, Oh yeah, nationalities than or religions. Uh, the more that we think about all those things, you know, as our fundamental identity, then the easier it is to pit each other against each other. Mm-hmm. And you know, and almost everyone has a different uh, thing at their core. You know, their core value, and so that makes it even more complicated because you know, someone has religion as their core value, someone has nationality as their core value, someone has economics as their core value. Um, and so it just, it gets to be pretty difficult pretty quickly to figure out what per, a person's game is. Mm-hmm. And so people can play that really easily. And so, um, you know, I think that's one of the hard things. Like maybe we, we do, we are human beings and we speak similar languages and we can find ways to translate or communicate. Uh, but we have these kind of tricksters in the middle of us that are, that are trying to pit us against each other they're, and they're doing it for their own ends. I, I agree completely. Um, and, and even taking it from a global uh, perspective, which I think is really interesting. I'd like to get more into that um, in, in, in one of these discussions. But, but maybe for the sake of time, taking it down to more of a personal level, there, there's a conversation that Ender has with his sister, Valentine, about, <clears throat> oh, you're just trying to manipulate me. You know, you're just, everybody wants to have power. You're using their power against me. And, and she says, instead of saying, no, 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 she says, um, we're human. And uh, welcome, he, I think she says, welcome to the human race. That's what it means. To, you know, that's a, I, I don't think she said that's what it means to be human, but that's a part of being human is deciding how to use the power that we've been given. Right. Um, and so when it comes to maneuvering and game, like you were saying, you know, playing games and what, one thing that came to my mind real quickly is as men, me and you, even as, as, as adults, but I think particularly particularly as men, because Ender's Game is about boys, right? Um, when it comes to boys, when, when have we had, I, I feel like in our modern day culture, you know, in today's culture, where do we have the ability to maneuver? Mm. Where, where are we allowed? I think that's when I feel um, that I'm most useful is when I'm maneuvering, but I, I don't often feel useful because we don't have a lot of arenas to maneuver, right. you know, to, to um, execute, you know, our influence on, on a situation. Yeah, the only two places we have, um, or well, only three places we have are the military sports and crime. Mm-hmm. So like, those are the only three places where, males, you know, I mean, you can say entrepreneurial. I mean, I guess you say the entrepreneurial world um, as well. 
So, I mean, four places. So, you know, military, sports, crime, uh, either side of the crime game um, or uh, the entrepreneurial world. And so I think most men probably end up going into the business world, but the business world has become very political. And it's, I would not say that it's so easy to apply like maneuvering strategies to a lot of what has become business because you have to think, you know, you have to play 5D chess all the time. Yeah. Um, Cause you're, you're not just thinking about, you're thinking about legal, you're thinking about accounting, you're thinking about uh, politics. Um, you're thinking about speech, you know, so there's just so many things that is, is kind of, you know, whereas in military, it's, that's a different kind of maneuvering, I feel like, and, and, and military crime and sports, they're different kinds of maneuverings. You know what the, you know what the general rules are, you know, there's, there's a, there are tactics, there are goals, there are objectives to be won, right? Um, that's, that's the key there. Uh, tactics and goals. Uh, I've had many bosses over me in my life. And what I found is a, is a um, astonishing lack of tactics and goals. Yeah, absolutely. Where you, where you have people that are just um, meeting benchmarks, surviving, you know, basically just uh, uh, collecting a paycheck and, and doing, you know, like not playing chess, just playing checkers, just, you know, moving your guys ahead. Yeah, because, it's not even checkers. It's snakes and ladders. I mean, I, I would say it's it's mm-hmm. just it's just this game of chance, Candyland. It's Candyland, snakes and ladders, and that's true. And all my experiences with NGOs, with the church, with businesses, it's just it's the same with the education system. Yeah, for uh, sure. You know, it's just moving numbers around. Like it's not actually math. It's it's manipulative statistics. You know, it's just it's just moving things around to make it look like things are happening. Yeah. So it's not it's not maneuvering. It's manipulation. Well, and I think uh, it's either manipulation or the fear of manipulation, right? Like the, I, yeah. I, f- I feel like in, at least in the, um, I think in the people that surround me in my, in my sphere of influence, there is a lot of like, well, we don't want to. Right. That's true. You get into manipulation. Whereas I think there's, there needs to be more of a place, especially for young men. And I, mean, I think our age, where we are able to use our God-given intelligence, you know, it takes intelligence to maneuver. And right. I, I feel my, I feel that my brain atrophying in this society where we're just called to go and do this, put this here and, you know, yeah. and come home and fold clothes or wash dishes, you know, instead of thinking um, transcendently, you know, thinking in the meta about how to accomplish you know, right. Hard, hard things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the lack of risk, the lack of challenge, you know, and that's why I think, you know, there's whole, there's whole sections of, of male society that just never, ever reach that, you know, if they don't go to the military yeah. um, or into crime, like the, uh, or, you know, sports to, to some degree too, like those three areas, because you're like the corporate world, the business world, it's almost like the game is already set. You know, people have already have decided every and no, we're not going to let you move. And so, you know, you have to really go to the boundaries. Um, so which inquire, requires a ton of intelligence or, or just, you know, a maverick spirit, which is just um, it's which is daunting. And that's the thing about the military. It's not about maverick spirit. You know, it's about, uh, you know, you need mentors. You need people who are going to who are going to 
tell you, yeah, you can walk, you know, that hundred mile march and you're going to survive, you know, because yeah. if you get, you know, 20 miles into it, you're like, oh, forget this. This is impossible because yeah. it's, you need somebody to bring you that extra mile. And so, um, you know, Ender's able to get there because of a structure of challenge and risk and, and, uh, and yeah, pushing forward. And, so, and older uh, mentors above him, pushing him. Right. Putting him in situations and believing in him, really. Right. Um, both of us, so both of us have kids. What, real quick, what are your thoughts on sports? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think sports are in their present form are pretty outmoded. Uh, I think that they've been supplanted by video games. You know, video games are just so much more complex and, and even though they're not realistic in a physical way, that will change soon with virtual reality. They're much more realistic in a tactical way. You know, I mean, you think about all major sports that we play, they're, you know, bat and ball games or ball and boundary games. And they're, they're avoiding what we're really talking about. We're talking about war here. Okay. Like yeah. let's quit acting like it's anything else. Like football, I think is maybe one of the most fo football and rugby are maybe the closest approximations because yeah. there's actually bodily contact. But you know, MMA is probably as close as you're going to get. Like, so what we really need is like some sort of like Dota two or Starcraft or league of legends inspired version of MMA where you have two teams of, you know, five that, uh, you know, beat each other up and well, let me tell in you, a tactical way. I, I think that is the future of video games is, uh, uh, what is the word you always use? Um, adding more, um, risk, not risk, uh, you know, uh, or you have something to lose. So oh, stakes, stakes, stakes. Yes. Yeah. Adding stakes to a game like Dota. Um, and I think eventually leading to, I, I think this, the, like you were saying, Ender's game being prophetic. I do. I was talking to a guy who uh, works with um, the Bureau of National Security and he was talking about like they were, or, or um, I don't know, he, he works on weapons. And I asked him, I said, look, I think the future is really robots fighting and, and people with, you know, video game controllers right. behind them. Um, and he said, absolutely. He said, we're doing that now more than ever. He said, with the, with the um, prevalence of drones now mm -hmm. and, and the ability to target, you know, like pinpoint uh, targets. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, and it needs to be an equitable fight. And so what I think what we're going to have eventually is conflict resolution. And then instead of dealing with lawyers, you know, who become our battlers, we actually have people either... Uh, it could be one of two ways. It could be like, like I, like, you know, Dota or League of Legends, where you say you get your best five players, and we get our best five players. And you know, in order to do that, it needs to be like the blockchain. It needs to be like Bitcoin. It needs to be this um, comprehensively, uniformly uh, uh, accountable ledger that there's no arbitrating committee like the math is doing the arbitration there mm -hmm. is no dispute like and so the technology is not quite there for video games yet because you know even in these dota or league tournaments there's usually a pause there's usually some malfunction you know mm -hmm. like you can't have malfunctions or pauses when you know a bill you know a million dollars is on the line or something mm -hmm. like that like oh well often okay. often the pauses are people giving up right not the stakes aren't That's high true. enough. They just give up and, and you have right. lopsided 
Uh, that does happen, but, but, you know, I mean, and they're working some of those kinks out now, but I do honestly think that that could be a way, you know, it could be instead of like, we're going to kill human beings, we're going to kill pixels on a screen. And that's going to be how you bring your best. We bring our best. I mean, and basically, and that's what these, we, they call them the telecom wars, you know, in Mm -hmm. Korea, you've got SK telecom against, uh, this other telecom and they've picked their best five Korean players against the best and they end up winning the world every time and and so what it is is basically it would be like if comcast and netflix rather than bringing the government in to do this stupid net neutrality um thing like no y'all y'all solve this dispute dispute yourselves netflix you get your best five players comcast you get your best five players and the loser has to has to give in you know for a period of time like um as opposed to having some independent arbitration that doesn't understand how the internet works comes in and regulate the internet for everyone, making it a law that applies to everyone as opposed to just to you two people. Um, you know, this 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 attitude of just applying one specific case to an entire, you know, 400 million people, that's absurd. Mm-hmm. And that's how, and then, you know, whenever, invariably when these decisions come, that's when the writers come in, you know, like these these little footnotes that nobody can interpret that like that give one person this ridiculous amount of power. But, oh, it's all about neutrality, you know, like that. That kind of stuff just can't work anymore. We need independent arbitration where the state and the courts and lawyers aren't the ones deciding it. And so I think war in a virtual way could be a way to do that, because sometimes people are just not going to agree. And sometimes they're both wrong. Or sometimes it's, you know, 45, 55. And how are you going to figure out what that 5%? Well, computers will be able to figure that out better. Um, And in the meantime, who's willing to fight harder for it? (laughs) Well, but not just who's able to fight harder for it. The problem I have is uh, that puts me in disposition. I don't have any, I don't have any resources. I don't, I can't put me up against Google well, and but that's I, that's the way it is now, though. I mean, Google Google is the tyrant. I mean, that's what drives me crazy about this Netflix. I mean, the net neutrality thing. It's like I have no recourse. I've been on YouTube for a better part of 10 years. I have mm-hmm. no recourse against Google. They they say, oh, this is not ad friendly. I can't. There's nobody going to listen to me. What am I going to do? Petition them? You know, and, and if they they and people have used my content before, if I sued them, what do I have the money to sue them? No. And if I did sue them, would I win in court? No. Would they pay me a settlement? No. So this is an imbalanced tort system. It's an imbalanced justice system. So when people talk about this whole neutrality thing, it's not neutral to begin with. You know, mm-hmm. you know, Google has gotten to this point where they've become arbiters of the internet. They're no longer a search engine. They're editors. They're the news corporation of the internet that mm-hmm. says, oh, you're looking for that? Oh, well, we invest in this product. Here it is. You know, they're doing that. Like they, yeah. they promised 20 years ago that they wouldn't be evil. They're doing that now. Yeah. So... So we need, and that's why I mean, we need some sort of independent ways where, you know, that the bar to getting there, like you think about the bar to entry for war. Well, war doesn't care. Yeah, (laughs) Like, you know, that's why America was able to beat Britain because war doesn't care that Britain marches in this nice little pretty line. Guerrilla warfare will work, you know, Uh, there are other ways of winning. That was one of the major themes. That was the theme of his maneuvering. The reason Ender was so powerful was because he understood that the key to winning was being doing the unexpected. Doing, right. you know, war doesn't care, so do whatever it takes. That doesn't mean being as violent as you can. That just means maybe means being violent. It means do whatever it takes and, and think about it outside of the box. Don't think right. about it in terms of two armies meeting each other. 
but think about it in terms of strategy and what, what do they expect? How can I uh, subvert that? Right. And you know, you could do Sun Tzu's The Art of War. I mean, you read that and you're just like, I mean, it's still, it's still mind boggling and revelatory all these years later. And again, from the other side of the planet, like this is, this war is real. Like you can't pretend that it doesn't exist, you know, and, and it's just like math is real. You can't pretend that it doesn't exist. And so this is why you need these, these independent, but you know, we want to find a way, and that's one of the purposes of technology. You want to find a way to mitigate the damage, you know, find a way rather than to, uh, you know, I think the atomic weapon, the, the evolution of uh nuclear warfare got mm -hmm. to the point where now we just don't want to go there we don't want to go to total war because if it comes to total war the whole world is going to be destroyed right. so almost everybody i mean so far you know there was all these doomsday scenarios here well here we are we're 70 years into this and we haven't obliterated the planet yet it's because there we finally reached the god particle and we're like we do not want to crack this thing open um you know in a in a total war scenario. Um, so I think, well, let, let me ask you a question about net neutrality. Cause I know, I know I've seen some, um, uh, some things you said about that and I've seen on both sides. I, I'm really not sure how to think of it, but I do want to know if say uh, net neutrality is overturned, Right. What does that mean for us? How do we have it's better access? It's not going to affect anybody. It's not going to change anything. In 2015, we didn't have net neutrality the way that they're defining it. This mm -hmm. is just a political framing device. You know, FCC passed this thing in 2015 that didn't exist for 15 years before that. Mm. And everyone is saying, like, oh, man, we're going to go back to the dark age. What dark ages? I'm sorry. I don't remember what was happening three years ago. It's after that was passed. I can think of some bad things that have happened after it passed. How about mm -hmm. Adpocalypse on YouTube? I can think about that. I can yeah. think about the fact that it's John Oliver and Keith Olbermann and Seth Meyers every day on YouTube trending, even though they're not getting the most views. I can think about that. Yeah. That happened after net neutrality. It didn't happen before it. Yeah. So it's not net neutrality. Because that's not neutral. When well, just the other day, and, and I know these are two different conversations, but they are using that in a political framing device to talk about Comcast as if Comcast is the end of the world. Comcast is not going to last another 10 years because they don't respect Bitcoin. Yeah. They don't understand how the, how the world of math works anymore. They're a yeah. giant corporation. They're slow. They're stodgy. If you, they will be destroyed. This is not Ma Bell from 100 years ago. This isn't the Rockefellers, okay? Mm -hmm. Resistance. This is a country of overthrowing a uh, more powerful enemy. Yes. Like, quit acting like we are beholden to the government to come in and intervene and save our... Oh, I'm not going to be able to get my Netflix for, you know, if, if you pass this law, I'm going to have to pay $2 a month extra for Netflix. That's not what net neutrality should be about. Yeah, and they uh, they blow it up. And they don't realize that this this whole there's this whole group of people that are in charge that don't realize that as Americans and and just as free people, we want to kind of do things our own way, and and we saw that in the election, and I think we're going to continue to see that. Yeah, I think so too. Especially with you know cryptocurrencies, I think yeah. honestly that'll be kind of one of the the balancing acts. To, to all the corruption that we saw in 2008, again, you know, I just, I, this is what frustrates me so much. It's like, uh, it's just like we have short-term memory loss. Like, oh, okay, so this bad thing happened mainly because of government intervention. 
yeah. and and ridiculous speculation taken to the greediest limit imaginable, but all under the purview of the government. Uh, and then what ends up happening? The government bails everyone out who got us into this mistake. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to the tune of $2 trillion, you know, yeah. under a conservative uh, president, you know, mm -hmm. fiscally conservative president, quote unquote, mm -hmm. um, and then under a progressive Democrat president, quote unquote. Like, right. no, but they did the exact same thing. Right. They just did a Keynesian bailout mm -hmm. that basically, and, and Keynesianism, is a eugenics philosophy that says that, you know, uh, basically, I mean, I, I just love how everyone sides with John Maynard Keynes. I mean, if there ever was a, you know, white man totalitarian, I can't think of one more mm. you know, who's, who basically comes in and says, I mean, he believed in eugenics for crying out loud. And that's the guy we want to go to for our, our, our economic theory, whatever. Oh. This is, this is a crazy, crazy hysterical fad for the last hundred years, our economic well, system. That's not the guy I want to go to. And no. I, I think more and more people like you and I are, I see it. Uh, it's interesting. The, the way things have gone after the election, there are so many more people that are waking up to the idea that like, Oh, uh, Government's not going to always be able be there to wipe my butt. I'm going to have to start figuring some of this out. Right. And um, and it's actually uh, you know I, I'm starting to wake up a little bit and say like you're saying about the idea of setting up your own no network, um, learning how to do things like you said, going back to school to do uh to to figure out this the the, the um the ins and outs of, of of website design and figure out podcasts that kind of thing you know like. Well, it's, it's, uh, we're becoming a much more D do it yourself DIY, uh, right. uh, nation, I think. Right. And, and, you know, and that was the, the whole thing, you know, with the Ender's game, you think about the, the old men, they were great tacticians. They were great mentors in terms of military theory, but they weren't so great. They were terrible at cross cultural communication. Yes. Um, and you know, I think we are at a time where, we have to be Ender at the end of that book and 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 in the next book where it's just rigorously, rigorously going to the ends of the earth for uh, true understanding, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's going to require such work and you can't depend on the government to do it because the yeah. government, it, their whole game is protection. It's protectionism, you know, yeah. and we're in a post-protectionism world. And, you know, I think, you know, the, a lot of these innovations are going to start changing this where it's not going to be the government that's going to be able to do it, you know, and, and you see the amount of trust that's being displayed on the internet you know, with things like Airbnb and things like that, where, where yeah. people are trusting people they never met, you know, eBay, same thing. I mean, a lot of people said it wouldn't work. You know, you're going to have all these people just ripping each other off and yeah. look at eBay it works. You know, I mean, look at, Uber, at, I mean, eBay, uh, all these and video games. Like, I, you know, when I started playing league, uh, I was like, I, this is going to be so toxic. And it is, I mean, it's still very toxic, <laughs> but, um, just the fact that you can have games yeah. where everyone works together, team, not, not seeing each other's face, have a shared language. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, from talk about cross-cultural, I mean, these video games are so cross-cultural. You can play with people on the other side of the world and every now and then you're, you are, you know, an Indian, um, someone from China, someone from America, someone from Malaysia, all working together for something. Mm -hmm. And actually like at the end, like, all right, good job, man. Like that's, yeah. that's something. Some, I mean, yeah. so we, we are, 
it, it, it is a hopeful time. And, you know, yeah, I think we just have to kind of um, do like Ender does, especially towards the end and think outside the box. Yeah. Like at a very, very different level, not just in a tactical level, but as a, at a communications level. And yeah. that, I mean, that's kind of the whole point of the book is that communication is, is fundamental. I mean, it's the most important thing. Someone recently said uh, to me, they read somewhere, uh, the universe, the universe aids the journeyman. I don't know if I brought that up before here, but um, the universe aids the journeyman. And um, I'm not a big proponent of the whole universe thing, but I do believe that the thrust of, you know, all of our lives heading in, you know, whatever direction it is, you know, if you want to look at the universe as this, uh, this natural force that's going forward, right. Just because we, the network of our lives, right. um, it aids the person. It, it, it behooves us to look at it, you know? And I think that's what we're doing here. We, we take a look at, at some of the pieces that come out of it, some of the reflections, you know, the art reflections um, from our society and, and try to pick it apart and get something out of it. Um, And um, I think this has been good conversation. I appreciate, I appreciate your thoughts on this stuff because I've been trying to figure, uh, especially when it comes to net neutrality. And I think what, what it comes down to for me is I don't think it matters. Uh, I think eventually uh, I think eventually this DIY, this DIY yeah. sort of uh, thrust of, of the common man will break through. Yeah, I agree. And, and so that's why, you know, I get, I get mad about it, I guess, just because it ends up becoming, it's just like, if you have a differing of viewpoint, which is just to me, just, it's so odd. Like, you know, in the world of the internet that, that we're still being forced to make these you know, all or nothing decisions. And that, that's just a weird form of totalitarianism. You know, it's like, you know, when a fad happens, everyone has to do it. You know, you have to help out this NGO because like, no, don't tell me what to do. Like, just stop it. Like, you don't know me. Um, and, and yeah. same thing with these, with these bills. It's like, everyone has to be on board. You have to stand up for this because we all believe the same thing. No, uh, you're not, you're just, you're listening to a comedian and yeah. a comedian's not a philosopher and he's not a scientist. And I'm, you know, I'm just done being hold, held over the barrel because someone ha- is a good, you know, has good rhetoric. Yeah. Well, as maneuvers, to bring it back to what we always bring it at the end, um, what comes to my mind is what do they expect us to do? They expect us to to get angry. Yeah. Protect our own. And I think yeah. I think we can smile and realize, see it, see the universe and how it's working, you know, see how, how God is working through in the universe. And when people get upset because we don't believe what they do, we can just smile, nod our heads and continue doing our, you know, uh, doing it ourselves. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, that's just one of the hardest things I think, you know, for a person who's opinionated like me, I, you know, I want to talk about it. Um, but you know, I think ultimately it's just the old adage, actions speak louder than words. And, you know, are we doing our best to try to make the world more connected, not in a consumer sense, but more connected in a communication sense? Like, are we actually understanding each other? And, you know, I think that that's, that's where the true value will come and it will help avoid some of these skirmishes and battles and wars that so many of them have, have 
arisen from misunderstanding. Now, now there will be battles to fight over things that are worth fighting for. Um, but I think when those things happen, we'll be surprised how who's on our side. We'll be like, yeah. oh wow, yeah, okay, we we all agree on this. Okay, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe we will be fighting an invading alien force that honestly wants to eradicate the idea of humanity. You know, right. so I mean, this there are that's that has happened before. I mean, humans have made those kind of choices where they just want to eradicate uh, anyone that's not them, and there is no diplomacy. So you know. But but I think we are constantly being pitched to jump to that conclusion before it's true, you know that everyone's a Nazi, yeah. everyone's Hitler, yeah. um, and you know every situation is the battle of the bulge, and we've got to break through, and it's just not the case. It isn't, and uh, I, I'm really grateful for our, our time here. Our, our um, uh, of course, we've got a little over time right now, but um. I think the ability to be able to talk to you Ford and talk about these things, I think it's helpful for me. And I, I think it's, it's, uh, I'd like to invite more people into it as we, uh, whether that be questions and answers, or if we actually invite, you know, other people to, to weigh in on some of these pieces that we talk about. Sounds good. All right. Well, I've got to go. And, All right. uh, I think the thing we can take take forward is what um, in the in the world of maneuvering, right? Well, in a world of uh, what uh, manipulation, yeah. we can be maneuverers and and, and look at uh, what look at communication as the right. Key. Yeah, try to reduce damage in the manipulations of the world. You know, try to maneuver through the mm. manipulative games and then you know, really really see if there's something more fundamental like is there is there a way to get these two sides to communicate and maybe avert a crisis that doesn't need to be you know there you know maybe yes. we're maybe we're on the same side we don't even realize it and i think you know that's what the book is really kind of getting at yeah all right well continue to create your own what was it? Make your own myth. <laughs> Make your own myth. And remember that the enemy base is down. Well, that concludes another great episode. And for Ford Sues, my name is Judah McNeil. This has been a reverse redaction. Uh, don't forget to check out the Surfing Violinist, Ford's YouTube channel. And you can follow him on Twitter at Ford Like the Car. You can find these episodes on iTunes, podcasts at Reverse Redaction, or you can also check out thesurfingviolinist.com under Reverse Redaction. All right, uh, see you next time.